Let's take our Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter number 9. Revelation chapter number 9. Let me get us caught up very quickly here this evening where we're at. Again, we've looked at the church age, uh, followed by the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ. And now for several weeks, we're in our third, uh, fourth chapter now of studying the tribulation period. Uh, we looked at chapter 6 and 7 and 8. We're getting into chapter number 9 tonight. Chapter number 9, it's, uh, we're starting to get in pretty deep now. Uh, not that the, the whole book of Revelation can be difficult and deep, but uh, uh, especially as we get into here, there's some things that uh, uh, we're going to wade through and do our very best. And um, last week we looked at chapter 8 and finished up chapter 8, and we saw four of those trumpet judgments. Uh, there we go. And so we looked at the seal judgments uh, back in uh, chapter 6, and then the trumpet judgments that we're studying now. We'll have these vile judgments coming up here uh, in the next few studies. But with the trumpet judgments, we saw the last week the, the first four mentioned in chapter number 8. And uh, they were mentioned in quick order. Verse 7, verse 8 and 9, uh, the third one is in verse 10 and 11, and then the fourth of these trumpet judgments in verse number 12. Uh, if you want to look at your Bible there in chapter number 8 and verse 7, uh, that, 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 that first trumpet judgment focused on the earth and specifically the vegetation. It, very mindful or remindful of the, of the plagues type of, a, a, of judgments that we would have been familiar with in the book of Exodus and, and focusing on these parts of nature here. And uh, verse 8 and 9 uh, dealt with the sea or the salt water bodies within our, our, our earth. Verse number 10 and 11 deals with the rivers or the fresh waters. And then verse number 12 deals with the luminaries, the sun, the moon, the stars. In God's judgment in a very nature-centric way it is dealt with here in these verses or in, these, in those first four trumpet judgments. And in chapter number 9, we're going to get to the fifth and sixth judgments or uh, fifth and sixth trumpet judgments in chapter number 9. And uh, what I, as I study this, and there are some differing thoughts on this, depending on who you read, uh, what commentators, but as I read through the scriptures, as I pray over it, and then find uh, what others have said about this, my heart goes towards, it appears that these trumpet judgments, number five and six, are very demonic-centric. Um, that these are, these are satanic things that are taking place. And we'll look at some of these things here this evening, get, a, get, get our feet wet this week, trying to make an application for us tonight as well to help us. Uh, as I was studying and wrapping this up today, I was asking God to just give me something in my heart to comfort me after these events and to encourage me and something that I can encourage our church people with this evening. And we'll try to wrap that up this evening in that fashion and then we'll get a little deeper in this next Wednesday. But let's go ahead and introduce ourselves to chapter number nine. And again, we're looking at these trumpet uh, judgment number five and number six, as well as the first and second woes that we were introduced to there in, uh, at the very end of chapter number eight. So verse number one. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, 
And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as of the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them were given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which they have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now, if I could just pause there and make a mention here, if you're familiar with locusts, they are very devastating to agricultural things. Uh, a locust swarm can come into an area and completely decimate it and completely ruin the crops for, for, for literally hundreds of miles around. Uh, several years ago, I was in Texas visiting some friends. This would have been, uh, oh, maybe 15, 16 years ago. It was in the summer, and they were in a drought. They were lived north of Dallas, between Dallas and Oklahoma there, and uh, it was a very dry time. I remember uh, we had to be careful with our little boys. Our boys were out walking in their yard, and, and there was big crevices that where the earth had opened up. It dried up so much, but my friend and I one evening decided to go, go golf nine holes, and um, it was an amazing, it was so dry and the ground was so hard, you could hit the ball 100 yards and it'd roll another 200 yards. It was just hard as a rock. And, and, but at some point, we were way down here at the beginning of a long hole, and we looked out there, and there was this, there was this it almost looked like smoke. It looked like uh, something coming up over the horizon. And as we're watching it, and it was, it was bellowing, we realized it was some type of grasshopper or locust swarm. And they were headed our way. And so we went the other direction and got away from them. And, and, and they were just coming through that area. And, and, and imagine these like type of locust things coming up, but then they're given this command not to touch the vegetation. Not to do this, but they are able to touch men. Look at verse 5. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should, they should be tormented five months and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man and in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them and the shapes of the locusts were like unto the horses prepared unto battle and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold and their faces were as the faces of men and they had hair as the hair of women and their teeth were as the teeth of lions and they had breastplates, and as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And when they had a king, uh, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Verse 12, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. So those first 12 verses cover that fifth trumpet judgment, that first woe that was introduced in chapter number 8. Then we get to verse 13, and the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpets, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great Euphrates. 
And the four angels were loosed and were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. And I heard the number of them. And I saw, and thus I saw the horses and the visions and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and of brimstone and of the heads of, uh, of the horses were as the heads of lions. And out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. And by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and, and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Well, chapter 9, as you can see, is an interesting chapter. And again, I believe it is, it is very demonic-centric here. Uh, in verses 1 through 3, uh, we have the introduction of this star that fell from heaven unto the earth. But then the, there's more clarification in verse number 1. That we're not talking about a luminary here, but we're talking about a personality. We're not talking about an actual star, but an individual. It says, a star fell from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And so this star that fell from heaven was an individual. Now, as I read and studied on that, I already had a thought in my mind who I thought it was. And as I read various commentators on this, there's, there's several thoughts out there on who this star that fell from heaven could be. Some actually believe it to be Jesus Christ. And, and I don't think that's who it is at all. That would, uh, I don't think that would be very consistent at all. And so I didn't like that one at all. And uh, others believe it just to be one of the angelic or demonic beings that was sided with Satan. But I personally myself am right now at this point lining up that I believe it to be Satan himself. Satan was cast uh, down from, the, from heaven and was given a key to the bottomless pit. Now, Satan has, has lots of power. Uh, Satan is able to do much things, but I want us to realize that he only can do what God will allow him to do. He is not all-powerful. He is not omnipotent. And he is limited in what he can do. And, and so what he is able to do, God enables or allows him to do. And, uh, and so he was given this key to the bottom split. And what we're going to see here is God's going to actually use uh, the demonic forces to rain out some of his vengeance and justice on these people. God's going to use these evil beings, these, these satanic beings, to usher into some of his own judgment upon this earth. Now, again, we have in verse 2 and 3 these, these creatures coming out from the bottomless pit. 
again, I don't think this was an actual locust, but I think there are these demonic beings that have been released, that have been bound in this bottomless pit, not able to be out and about, and, and for whatever reason, and now they're going to be released, and they're going to bring this judgment that was described here. Again, they're not, uh, they're not attacking the vegetation, they're ta- attacking the mint but not able to take their lives. And let me clarify that. Not just attacking men, attacking the men, the women, that do not have the seal of God upon them. Do not have the protection of God. Back in chapter, was it 7? The 144,000 received the seal of God. They get that seal of God. And listen, I thank God today. We're not talking, I'm not talking about us being in this age or in this tribulation period, but I'm grateful for the seal of God. I'm grateful that as a child of God, we have the spirit of God. We are sealed unto the day of redemption. There's identification. When Satan sees me, he sees I'm a child of God and he's limited what he can do to me. And he can't just do what he wants to me. He has to, he has to talk to God about what he can. Now, God allows some things. We've got a whole book in the Bible about it, don't we? The book of Job. And God allowed some awful things to take place. But even in the end of that, God received glory through that. And so these, these satanic beings can come and they can attack these unsealed, these non-believing, these rejecting people of God. They attack them for five months. And I don't even know for sure what the five months signifies. Uh, I, I don't know what that is for, but there's a five-month period where they, they torment men, and they torment them in such a fashion that man wishes he could die, but he can't. And he's not able to. These, these, this, this, this time of judgment is upon them, and they, they, they have these tails like the, the scorpion and the sting, and man is wishing that they would die and are not able to. That's the fifth one there. Again, very demonic. We get to verse number 13, the sixth angel and the second woe. And this one, again, is demonic, I believe. Um, look at verse number uh, 14. It's a saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed and were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay a third part of the men. Now this judgment's going to be to a greater degree now, isn't it? A third of the men that are left will die because of this when these four beings, these four called angels here, are loosed from their captivity at the great river Euphrates. We'll get a little deeper into that next week. And they're going to raise up an army of horsemen where 200,000, I heard the number of them. And so this is a, a massive army. Um... Uh, one person did some math, and I don't, I don't know if they're right, but it sounded good, so I thought I'd share it with you. This army, if you stack them next to each other, a mile wide, and then 87 miles long. Imagine an army that long. I looked it up. It's 84 miles from here to Richmond. 
Can you imagine an army that's a mile wide, that's 87 miles long? This is what he's talking about here. Now, some have tried to say that this perhaps might be an army uh, of men. Perhaps it is. If it is, it's certainly an army that's under the control of demonic forces, though. But I, again, lean, lean towards this, that this is actually a demonic army that has been brought up and is part of this and is bringing this, this, uh, uh, this attack upon men. You'll notice their weaponry there out of their mouths issued fire, smoke, and brimstone. And in verse number 18, by these three was killed, excuse me, by the, uh, was the third part of men killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. And so we have in these two, this fifth and sixth trumpet judgment, these demonic forces bringing their judgment out upon mankind. Why? Well, look what they did not repent of, those that survived in verse 20 and 21. And the rest of men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands. They should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries nor their fornication nor of their thefts. In verse number 20 there, they repented not of their idolatry. In verse 21, they did not repent of their immorality. These these men here uh, involved in idolatry and immorality. Now those are not just sins of of the tribulation period. Those are sins of today, aren't they? Idolatry is anything that you put before the Lord. Anything that has a significance or a preference in our lives above God. You may say in your mind that God's number one, but our actions prove something differently, don't they? Our lifestyle proves something differently. And anything in our lives that, that, that is before God in any fashion is a sin of idolatry. And then, of course, there's the sin of immorality. Here he mentions murders, sorceries. Within sorceries would be Things of uh, drug use and those type of things and drunkenness. There's fornication and theft. Of course, the Lord looks at our hearts. Scripture tells us if we have hatred in our heart towards someone, we're like a murderer. Scripture tells us if we have lustful thoughts about anybody, we're an adulterer. Uh, when we long and we lust after something that we want, and we're a, we're a thief. These are sins of the heart. And so I would not be too quick this evening to say, well, I don't, I'm not involved in any of those things. God knows our hearts this evening. Idolatry and immorality was, was the basis of this judgment here in, in, in Revelation chapter number 9. And these men are not willing to repent. Of course, we're living in a day and an age when we're seeing less and less people repent. Less and less people seeing their needs. And we're living in a time when this world's getting worse and worse, aren't we? Again, here we are dealing with this awful tragedy in Texas, this violence, this, this, this wickedness. 
So I thought to myself and prayed through this and thought through these scriptures. And, and, and let me share a couple of uh, uh, applications for us this evening for just a few moments here. Uh, we're talking about these trumpet judgments. Uh, these judgments that were sounded and introduced by a, 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 a trumpet of some sort. Uh, making some type of an announcement. I mentioned that the trumpets in the scripture were often used to make announcements or to initiate a memorial, a signal a time for journey or assembly, uh, sounded the first day of the month, but they were also used to declare an alarm and signal important events on the calendar. And church, right now, we are living in a time when the trumpets can sound as a sound of warning, a sound of, uh, 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 of declaring an alarm. We are living in perilous times, wicked days. Uh, and this is not the time for the church to become quiet. This is not the time for the church to cower into a corner and, and become silent. These are times and days, church, where we must uh, say, thus saith the Lord. We must declare the truth of God's word. We have an opportunity to sound an alarm, to blow our trumpets, so to speak, in this time. Now, in this passage here in Revelation, there was many that did not repent uh, they, they repented not, it says in verse number uh, 20 and 21. And I understand that that'll be the case even in this day. But I'm grateful that there are a few and there are a handful of people that are repenting. There are people out there that no doubt are considering what's going on in this world. Uh, they're, they're looking at things. Now, they don't know what to balance out. They don't know where to look. They don't know what to consider. But don't you know there are some people out there looking? There are, out, there are some people out there considering some things. And it could be that your, your witnesses could be that one thing that could cause them to consider Jesus Christ. And so, church, this is a time. How should we handle a tragedy like this? Become more gospel forward. Uh, get the gospel out there. And that's not just a, a corporate move of the church that we're going to push for a big sore day. That's talking about the church going out Monday through Friday in the workplace. You sharing your faith. That's you sharing your faith with your neighbors and, and, and your family members. That's us taking the gospel with us each and every day. Church, we've got to become more uh, of, of a church that's declaring that alarm. I've also mentioned about these woes. Remember the word woe reminds us of, of calamity. It, it, it reminds us that doom, calamity and doom are near. I entitled that section last week, The Worst is Yet to Come. Not the best, but the worst is yet to come. Isn't it amazing that as bad as our society is today, with the idolatry, the immorality, having an event like yesterday, as bad as it is, woe is me, it's going to get worse. Woe, woe, woe. And if you die without Christ and you go into this tribulation period, there is no hope. It's only going to get worse. 
And so today, let's blow the trumpet of warning. As I meditated on the, the, this passage, this, these thoughts, and, and certainly uh, uh, the, the events of, of yesterday, and just our world in, in general, I started thinking, I feel the Lord led me in my, my own thoughts, and my own consideration. I, I, think, I think I love this world a little too much. I like my life. I do. I'm a blessed man. Uh, I, I like what, what I have and I enjoy it. And I think sometimes I can enjoy this life so much that I become pretty earthly minded and not very heavenly minded. Uh, where is it in Colossians where Paul says, set your affection on things, what? Above. Was it in Philippians chapter 1? Paul said, um, and I'm, I'm definitely paraphrasing here. Paul says, I, I, I'm in a betwixt two things here. I have a desire to stay here with you, but I also have a desire to go there. Uh, he said, there's some things about this earth that I longed here, but Paul had this desire to go on to heaven. As I thought about some of these events uh, you know, of course, this was compared to, is it, what was it, is it Sandy Hook? Was that what that shooting was called in Connecticut 10 years ago? was brought up, and I couldn't believe it. It's, it's, it's been 10 years since that happened. And uh, uh, thinking about those type of events, you know, those type of things happen. This grip I have on the world gets a little looser. I'm willing to let some of this go, I think. And heaven's sounding greater all the time, isn't it? Church, the more and more we see of this wicked world that we live in, let it move your affection to things above. Aren't you grateful that heaven is a place where there'll never be another tragedy like that? You'll never have an awful call or hear an awful report on the news. Uh, well, if you know Christ is your Savior, heaven's, heaven's our eternity. This is the worst you're ever going to have it. And it's only going to get better from here. But then that puts a huge responsibility on us to sound the alarm, to blow the trumpet out there. Let, this, let our community and this world know to send as many mission dollars out there as we can, to, send, to go on as many mission trips as we can, to get the gospel out here locally. We have a huge responsibility because we are certainly in those last of the last days. Are you clicking with me tonight? Are you following me tonight? Are you with me tonight? I hope you are, church. I tell you, this world is, uh, it is making me homesick for a place I've never been before. But I'm looking forward to going there. And I trust tonight that you'll, you'll have that same desire. And so, as we close in prayer, let's certainly remember our, the situation, but also remember in our own hearts uh, to tell the, the world their only hope is through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this passage in Revelation 9. We pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to... Father, take some, uh, some challenges from this. Lord, we're not in the tribulation period yet. There's still hope today. But we can sound the alarm. We can let people know that there's hope through Jesus Christ.
But Lord, the day is coming when you come and that time is done. So Lord, help us. Now Lord, watch over us tonight as we go home. And Lord, would you please watch over us this week? Lord, would you watch over this body of believers? Would you watch over this ministry? Would you put a hedge of protection about us, God? Lord, help us to, uh, Father, again, be faithful to share your truth with, with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.